we're in a series called As You Go, and we're looking at a sub-series of that based on the book of Matthew. I hope you have your Matthew's book. If you don't, there are some, if you haven't picked up one, available in the foyer in the front, some in the back. I do ask that if you've gotten one and you've lost it, try to find it before you pick up another one. And also, those of you who are selling them on eBay, stop it. Quit doing that. We've given out a lot of Matthew books, and we're excited about it, and I hope you're enjoying them as much as, as I am. Uh, one of the things we've been doing is we've been working through these lessons on Matthew, or little pop quizzes. We're not going to do that next week, Easter Sunday, a lot of guests. But I do want to uh, continue it today. Uh, now, let me just say, I understand if you're struggling with this, uh, Rodney made a confession this morning. He said, you know, Les, I'm, when you ask who got every one of them, he said, I'm tired of raising my hand. Rodney obviously has an advantage over all of us. I'm not sure he didn't write some of the Bible. He at least translated it, I know that for sure. If he didn't write it, he translated it. And so, but uh, I hope today uh, is a little easier. So let's see how well you do because you don't have to remember as far back. Hint, hint. All right, here we go. Question number one, in which chapter does Jesus heal a leper? Somebody shout out the answer. Eight, chapter eight, last Sunday. All right, that's why I said you don't have to remember as far. Question number two, in which chapter does Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law? Eight, there you go, very good. Number three, in which chapter does the wind and the sea obey Jesus? Eight. <laughs> Some of y'all are going, is he tricking us? No. Chapter eight, question number four, in which chapter does a herd of pigs drown in the Sea of Galilee? All right, y'all are finally getting this. Chapter 8. And then the fifth question. In which chapter are the Pharisees and the Sadducees called a brood of vipers? No, it's not 8. <laughs> chapter 3. I figured some of you are going to do that. All the rest were 8. It's got to be 8. No, just testing to make sure. Make sure you were awake. All right, here we go. You know, when you open the text, Matthew 4.23 starts what we call a sandwich effect in Matthew's gospel. He uses a summary statement that's going to basically apply for the next five chapters. And we're going to see at the end of nine, he's going to come back and repeat that. We're going to see that here in a moment. But basically what he says is, is that Jesus began, first of all, to teach and to proclaim the gospel throughout Galilee. And we saw in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 what that involved, the Sermon on the Mount. Here is a beautiful illustration of what Jesus taught and what Jesus preached. And then he goes on to say that he also was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so when you get to chapters 8 and 9, you have illustrations of that. And so Matthew helps us in our learning by saying, listen, I'm going to give you an example of his preaching and teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and then I'm going to give you a bunch of illustrations, ten healing ministries in all, uh, healing stories in, in these two chapters there in chapters 8 and 9. Now, 
Here's the point I want to make this morning. I want you to listen to me very carefully. The Holy Spirit is always working through multiple layers in every text of the Bible. Now, what I mean by that is that you may be reading the story, but oftentimes the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate different messages layered in those stories. John's Gospel is absolutely amazing in the way it layers so many different themes. And of course, as you study the text, if you've ever been like me, you'll come to a passage that you've read dozens of times, and then you'll see something you've never seen before, and you're like, how have I missed that? It's another layer. And the Holy Spirit peels these layers back and reveals them to us as we grow in our faith. And that's what happens here in these stories. At one level, what you have are simply these these stories, these miracle stories. And these miracle stories are, as John Micah mentioned this morning, in a broken world, they're Jesus putting the world back together again. I mean, as he heals diseases that should have never existed, as he calms storms that we humans should have had the ability to calm, as as he casts out demons that should have never inhabited human bodies. I mean, you see Jesus trying, not just trying, but doing in this beautiful symbolic way of putting the world back together again, ultimately pointing to what will happen in the final resurrection. One of the layers that I love in in chapters 8 and 9 are these miracles that tell us who Jesus is. I mean, one of the things that's fascinating, if you'll just notice, and again, oftentimes we don't see it unless we start looking for it. But, but throughout these stories, the Holy Spirit's saying, can I tell you who he is? Look at last week, Matthew 8, 2. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, Greek word kurios, is a word very similar to sir in, in English language. But it's sir in the same way that you might say the one sir, and just simply mean it as a, a statement of respect, or you may say to someone, Sir, you know, Paul McCartney, who is a, you know, a knight, and so Sir is a title he wears. Lord was used the same way. And so when this leper comes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's challenging us to think, when he says Lord, is he simply being polite, or is he saying Lord? A name applied to the Emperor Nero himself. I mean, what is going on here? Or in this case, Augustus, when Jesus was alive. I mean, does the word Lord simply mean, yes, sir? Or does it mean, yes, sir, in the highest sense of the word? Turn down just a few more verses. Jesus talking about discipleship. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man. Now, if you're not careful, we just read that and we just fly over it. Son of man means he was a son of man. No, no, no. You see, you go back to the Old Testament book of Daniel. And Daniel will talk about someone who appeared to be like a son of man. And Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14 describes this son of man ascending into heaven, coming before the ancient of days in the clouds being given authority and reign and rule, a kingdom that will never end. I mean, son of man was a messianic title that if anybody in the first century had heard Jesus say, their ears would have perked up and say, whoa, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And then in the stealing of the storm, of the sea, 
the apostles, Paul's afterwards, and they look at one another going, what kind of man is this? I mean, who in the world commands the wind and the sea and it obeys him? And that question, what sort of man is this, is intended for us to ask the same question. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, and of course, as we discussed last week, the psalm says only God could do that. Hint, hint. And then you go down to the, uh, to the demonic men who when Jesus lands in the land in the area of the Gadareans, you know, they come rushing toward Jesus. Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? And so if you're watching, I mean, in these miracle stories are these identification markers trying to tell us who Jesus Christ is. And so lesson number one, Jesus is identified by multiple Messianic titles. And by the way, that will continue on in chapter 9 as well. And so Matthew chapter 9, we start with a story that's fascinating. First of all, I put a picture up here because Matthew doesn't tell us this part of the story. You know, one of the things that I believe, and I've presented it as, as, as one of my beliefs, is that Mark's gospel was written first. And then Matthew came along and expanded his 16 chapters to 28. Luke came and extended his as well. To, and, and so both of them start expanding Mark's gospel for two different audiences. And yet when Matthew does that, it's fascinating that sometimes Matthew, through the inspiration of the Spirit, condenses the stories. In other words, he takes this miracle story found in Mark's gospel, in many senses almost verbatim, but he leaves out the details of tearing through the roof. You remember the story? Jesus is in the house. Doors are full. Room's full. Nobody can get in. These four guys bring their friend who's a paralytic. They can't get into the door. So they go up on the roof. And they begin to tear through the roof. And, of course, they lower, Jesus, or lower the man down to Jesus in order for Jesus to heal him. When they do that, and Jesus does, in fact, heal him, Notice the response of the crowds. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid. Interesting. Afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Again, what kind of man is this? Well, he's a man who claims to forgive sins and also to make lame people walk. Later on in chapter 9, Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. And again, shortens the story. Matthew leaves out what Jesus says, Talitha Ka'um, Aramaic for little girl, rise up. He leaves that completely out of his story. But it's the first of Jesus' resurrection narratives. I mean, he's going to raise a little girl, 12 years old, from the dead. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, and by the way, the ruler's the local preacher. All right? A synagogue ruler is the local preacher in the synagogue. Okay, that's the role he plays. Expanded even more than what we would think of a preacher today. And he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. She had been sick a long time. Her father had, you know, come to ask Jesus to come heal her. She dies between the time he leaves the house and he gets back. And by the time he gets back, the flute players are already there. People had gathered to mourn. It's a big scene going on. And Jesus says, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. 
They laughed at Jesus. And Jesus puts everybody out except the mom, the dad, and Peter, James, and John. And he goes in and takes the little girl by the hand. And, of course, Matthew simply says she rose up. I mean, she, her life came back to her. You know, the other gospel writers tell us that he said those precious words, Talitha Ka'um, little girl, I say to you, rise. And she does. He gives her back to her, her parents and he says, by the way, you need to give her something to eat. I want you to notice what happened as a result of it. And the report of this went throughout all the district. I mean, one of the other themes that's going through the text is the fame of Jesus. I mean, it's just spreading more and more and more and more as the people hear of these amazing stories. Then you have Jesus approaching a couple of blind men. And notice once again the title. Have mercy on us, son of David. Which goes back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Daniel, Daniel 7, son of man. Son of David, Daniel 7. Oh, excuse me, 2 Samuel 7. And it goes back to the promise that God made to David that he would build a house for him and he would place one on his throne who would reign forever. And here's these blind men who can see who Jesus is even though they're blind. And we have another messianic title given to him. Don't miss that. I mean, as you're working through the text and you see that question, what sort of man is it? Start filling in the blanks. He's Lord. He's son of man. He's son of God. He's son of David. He's one with authority over the storms. He's one with authority over death itself. And I'm sitting there as, as, as we were singing, the great physician is near, and I'm thinking that's exactly what's going on in this text. As Jesus says, you tired of death? I am too. You tired of sickness? I am too. You tired of storms? I am too. And let me tell you, I've come to put an end to all of that, and one day he will. That's the message of this whole text. We must not miss it. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. I love this. Don't you let anybody know. And look at the next verse. But they went out and spread his fame. fame. Notice the word used there, through all that district. And so you got all these beautiful themes all playing out at the same time. Now, let's look at the last theme. Going back to the beginning of chapter 9, the man's lured through the roof. Matthew doesn't tell us that. Mark and Luke does. And Jesus sees their faith and immediately says to him, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And present in the room are some scribes. Scribes, very likely Pharisees. Scribes were people who, who copied Scripture. They became religious lawyers. Many of them were Pharisees. And as soon as Jesus said that, they said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Now, the first thing we need to ask ourselves is what would we have thought? I mean, if Blake had got up this morning and said, we're so glad to have you here, thanks for coming today, and I just want you to know I am forgiving all of your sins. I can just tell you, Blake wouldn't have led singing that day. Some of the elders would have come over to me and said, we got to get him down. Blake's done, he's done, you know, something's wrong with him. He can't forgive sins. Now, again, we need to place ourselves in these Jews' viewpoint. I mean, for someone to come and claim to have authority to forgive sins was just unheard of. But the problem is not 
that Jesus simply claimed to forgive sins, but that they jumped immediately to the worst of worst sins, which is blasphemy. You see, instead of stopping for herself and going, what did he just say? He's claiming to have the power, the authority to forgive sins? I mean, is that possible? Instead of asking the question and then listening for an answer, they immediately jumped to blasphemy. And Jesus jumped on that. By the way, lesson number two, Satan's always trying to poison our thinking. He's always trying to make us think the worse. And boy, we as human beings do it. I mean, we hear a story and we immediately think the very worst without stopping for a moment to say, what do you think is going on here? And so Jesus comes back to them and says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Why don't you just ask questions? Why don't you just explore the possibilities? Why do you jump straight to the worst of a worst when you think blasphemy? And then look at what he says. Which is easier? He said, if you just waited for a moment, you could have contemplated the fact that if a man has the authority to make a lame man walk, surely he may have the authority to forgive him of his sins. And that's the point that Jesus makes. And so he says to the man, rise and walk. And he does. And the response is amazing. I mean, they're just kind of blown away by it. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 tells us that the war that we fight is fought right up here. In my life, in your life, and in the life of the world. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Folks, we're in a battle for the heart and mind of our nation. And we've got to realize that the battle is won up here. It's won in our preaching. It's won in our teaching. It's it's not won with us protesting it's not one with us you know having big rallies and that's those rallies are simply challenging people to think for a difference for a change one of my favorite elders was a man named jim ingram brother jim passed away about three weeks ago he was an elder a long time at north side bill rules first cousin for you know brother bill rule but brother jim used to say people would rather die than think and i think sometimes that's the case Jesus is just challenging them to think. Matthew chapter 9. This is not a miracle story. This is a fellowship story. Jesus calls Matthew. One of my favorite parts in the, in the Chosen series, Stan, is Jesus calling Matthew. Just an incredible story, the way they, they show that. But Jesus calls Matthew and then goes to Matthew's house. Matthew gives him a big dinner. And there's tax collectors and there's sinners who are present. And the Pharisees who are, I'm sure, outside looking in because they're not going to go in Matthew's house. Matthew's a tax collector. He's unclean. But you can just see them at the windows as they're peeping through. And they turn to the apostles who may be at, you know, who, who knows how many people are there. And they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so lesson number three, Satan's always trying to accuse us of guilt by association. By the way, those who are doing this are the religious people. All of my life, I've been accused of guilt by association. Either to the right or to the left. It doesn't make any difference. Both extremes are going to accuse you. I went to Freed Hardeman. That's enough to accuse me by some people. 
I taught at Lipscomb. That's enough to accuse me of the other side. You know, and everywhere in between. I mean, you, you, you carry one version of the Bible, you're going to be accused by some people. You carry another version of the Bible, you're going to be accused by another group of people. You go to this lectureship, guess what? Woo, he must think the way those people at that lectureship think. I one time got a phone call by a very prominent preacher who said, do you agree with uh, everything taught in that particular lectureship? And I said, no, no more than I agree with everything taught in the lectureships you go to. Why do we, why do, we do that? I mean, Jesus was accused of guilt by association. Jesus prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them uh, from the evil one. Folks, we're salt, we're light. Light always shines in the darkness. You always have to be in darkness if you're light. It's the only way you can make light. And salt, salt has to be spread or it's no good. It has to get out into the world. Jesus is going to make a very simple point. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You know, when I was a kid and I, you know, went somewhere where there were other sick kids, mother would say, stay away from the sick kids. You'll catch it. Good advice. But if I'd become a doctor, like Dr. Phillips here, and I just dropped my channel changer. But if I'd become a doctor like Dr. Phillips, and then all at once mama said, but don't get near sick people. Doc, that'd been a little difficult, wouldn't it? You see, when you become a doctor, you are the one that goes into the hospital. You're the one that goes into the community where there's sick people. Why? Because that's the ministry God's called you to. That was the ministry Jesus had. Go and learn what it means I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. As they were going on, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But not the Pharisees. Pharisees, once again, they're on the attack. And they say, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. I mean, once again, when all else fails, attack the motive of the one doing good. Jesus is not doing this because he loves you. He's doing this because he's got a sinister motive behind it. I mean, he's working for Satan himself. Brother, brothers and sisters, listen to me. We live in a hostile world. And it's becoming more and more hostile toward those of us who are believers in Jesus than ever before. And we just wells to expect it. We're always going to have opposition. Jesus always had opposition. We're going to have opposition. But we need to realize that the victory is in Jesus. He ends his section by saying, this is what Jesus did, which is exactly almost the same thing that we started with in chapter 4, verse 23. But here's what I love most about chapter 9. He gets to the end and he says, listen. He sees the crowd and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he asks us to pray. He asks us to pray. Matthew wrote this asking us to pray. And what is it we pray for? He said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. Look at the language. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Brothers and sisters, more than ever in my lifetime, we are in need of laborers. We're in need of people willing to go out into the harvest, y'all. We can't call the harvest to come in here to us. They're not going to come into our building for us to do the harvesting. We've got to get out into the fields. 
We have got to be the presence of Jesus in our community. Hendersonville, Madison, Gulletsville, Gallatin, all of our communities around us. We have got to be the presence of Jesus. And we've got to pray for voices to ring out that message. Are you willing to join us in doing that? I oftentimes tell people, listen to our prayers. Listen to our prayers. Because prayers tell you where your heart is. It is that simple. Are we praying for those who have the gospel to take the gospel into the world so that more can be brought to Jesus? If we're not hearing that in our prayers, there's something fundamentally wrong with our prayer life because that is what Jesus urged us earnestly to do. And so if I can challenge you this week, first of all, as you go, read Matthew 27, 28. You're like, whoa, out of order. Easter Sunday. So this week, would you read Matthew 27, 28? Continue to pray. I'm going to keep emphasizing this through this entire series. Pray for those who don't know Jesus. Here, Gallatin, Madison, Gulletsful, you know, I mean, all the communities around us. Please pray for them. Number three, spend some time asking God to help you as Satan's trying to mess you up up here. He's constantly trying to make, mess me up. He'll mess you up as well. Pray that he doesn't win. And finally, pray for God this week to send laborers into his harvest. And by the way, you may need to be praying that you will be one of those laborers. Our shepherds are fixing to go to the sides of the auditorium as well as upstairs. If you have any need whatsoever, prayers for you, for your family, for something going on in your life, if you have a desire to be baptized, to, to come to know Jesus Christ, let them know that. They'll arrange it with whoever you will want to do the immersion. If you'd like to respond in any way, our elders are heading that way right now. Please go and see them as together we stand and sing.